Uh, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you're worshiping with us today. And uh, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Okay, <clears throat> let's pretend we like Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. Um, I thought uh, it would, we're in the Christmas season and a lot of churches will do, uh, they'll read a scripture and light a candle during the Advent season. We've done that in the past. But what I thought would be fun to do this year is something a little different. I thought maybe we could sing an acapella Advent song together each week. Um, because when God's people sing, something happens. And as much as I love our worship team, and you guys did a fabulous job leading us in worship this morning, thank you for that. Uh, as much as, as, as good a job as they do, they are the accompaniment. We are all together worshiping God, uh, and they are accompanying us as we sing. And when people come into the church, especially unbelievers, and they hear God's people singing with passion and enthusiasm, something happens. They know these people actually believe all this stuff that we talk about on Sundays. And I can see it because they're singing with joy. And so um, I thought we could sing an old Advent hymn. This one's called All People That on Earth Do Dwell. I'll get us started and then I'll turn my microphone off so that we can all hear ourselves singing and worshiping God. If you're not familiar with this one, it goes to the tune of the doxology. Um, And so let's sing this together. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with fear, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. Oh, enter then his face with praise. Approach with joy his courts unto. Praise God and bless his name always. For it is he we so A couple of announcements before we jump into the scripture. Thank you for singing, by the way. It's beautiful. I love hearing the church sing. Um, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. So Christmas Eve is a Saturday. Christmas Day is a Sunday. We will have two services on Christmas Eve at 4 p.m. and at 6 p.m. They're identical. And then we will have a service on Christmas Day at 10 a.m. It's not the same as the Christmas Eve services. It's just an opportunity to gather together and remind ourselves that Jesus is ultimately why Christmas even exists. And so um, it's a good chance for parents to teach their kids. Gifts are fun, presents are, are enjoyable, but ultimately let's come together as God's family on 
Christmas Day and worship Him. Uh, also, we had yesterday gingerbread house building contest, and there are some leftover gingerbread houses and supplies downstairs in room 113. All of those will get thrown away tomorrow, so take a, whatever you want. Take, just go down, take them. Uh, if you decorated a house and left it here and you want it, take it because otherwise it's going to get pitched. Uh, and so then um, we also want to remember and pray for um, Andrew and Brenna Diab and their family. If you're on the prayer chain email, you've seen some of the uh, prayer requests for their four-year-old nephew, Georgie. Uh, he did pass away. And so we want to remember them in our prayers uh, this morning. Let me pray, and then we will jump into Scripture together. Uh, God, we do lift up Andrew and Brenna and their family. Um, We lift up the parents uh, of Georgie and just pray that you would give them incredible peace and strength. Um, I know that they have a strong faith in you, and I pray that that faith would lift them up in this very difficult loss. And as they go into the Christmas season without Georgie, I pray that uh, each day your mercies would be new every morning in their lives. As we turn to your word now, Lord, would you um, open our hearts to receive what you have to say through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been um, in a series this fall called In God's Family, and we're talking about practices and traditions in the household of God. And so we've talked about things like in God's family, we remember. We talked about communion and what that means and what it reminds us of. In God's family, we celebrate new birth. We talked about baptism and, and why we practice that. In God's family, we remind ourselves of what really matters. That's, was, that's what fasting is about. Not manipulating God to get him to do what you want, but rather reminding ourselves that this world and these things are not ultimately what's most important in life. It's God that really matters. We, in God's family, we give thanks. And we actually practiced that last week. And I loved hearing uh, your stories and some of the things that God's doing in your lives. This morning, we're going to talk about how in God's family, we gather together. And someone said to me this week, um, <clears throat> you know, this topic, on Sunday, you're going to be preaching to the choir because everybody who needs to hear it won't be there. <laughs> uh, uh, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll just, maybe they'll catch the live stream. I don't know. Uh, in God's family, we gather together. And w- what we're going to do is we'll look in the scriptures and we're going to read scripture a little bit differently this morning than our usual practice. So we have a, a reading from the Psalms and then a reading from the New Testament. And what I'm going to invite you to do is read the Psalm aloud and then I'll respond to that with the verses from the New Testament. So we don't normally do that. It's a little different, but I thought I like to change things up. Let's stand. Psalm 122 will be on the screen. And then why don't you go ahead and read that aloud and then I'll respond with the reading from 1 Corinthians. Psalm 122. I rejoiced.
And then I'll read 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. You can have a seat. Thanks for reading scripture with me. The thing that is astonishing and profound uh, is in the New Testament, one of the things, many things are, but particularly about this issue. The New Testament reveals that the house of the Lord is no longer a place. It's a people together. The, The temple of God is no longer a building. It is the gathering of the church This is an astonishing, uh, profound revelation that the New Testament gives. Um, I love the way the NIV translates 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, because all of the word you, the times the word you appears in those verses, you are the temple, you are the temple. The word you is plural in the Greek. And the NIV translation captures that so well. You are God's temple together. You together are God's temple. See, the house of the Lord is not a place. It is a people together. It's no longer about where you go to worship God. It's about who you gather together with to worship God. And the thing that's so uh, profound about this revelation is in the the Bible, um, the biblical worldview, a temple is the place where heaven and earth overlap. You have the spiritual realm and the physical realm, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And those realms overlap and intersect in a temple. And so if people wanted to experience the spiritual realm, they had to go to a temple where God's presence was manifested or made known, made a reality in the physical world. Uh, But what the New Testament reveals is that through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who indwells us, when we gather together we become the temple. We become the house of God where God's presence is manifested in this world in our midst. It's when we come together that we become the house of God. And I want to look at Psalm 122 to see what is in the house of God, the gathering together of the church. In God's family, we gather because we, come, we become the house of God together. And in God's house, there is joy. Verse 1 of Psalm 122, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There is gladness. There is happiness. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Where are we finding our joy? Where are we looking for happiness in life? The Bible is very clear. Happiness begins with and comes from gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship God. There is joy in God's house. There is unity in God's house. Verse 3 says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. Now the Hebrew that's translated closely compacted together literally means to take several different things and bind them together to become one whole. 
It's the same phrase that Moses used when he was giving instructions on building the tabernacle in Exodus 26. And he says, you take all these different pieces of the tabernacle, the tent, and you bind them together to make one whole tabernacle. That's exactly what this is talking about. God's people being bound together, closely compacted. There's unity in the house of the Lord. It kind of reminds me of uh, Lego bricks. Um, now, I've been, I've been told by somebody in my family that really loves to build Legos that uh, these are not Legos. These are Lego bricks. Lego is the brand, not the block. Well, whatever. I call them Legos. So <clears throat> if you uh, enjoy playing with Legos, Christians are like individual Lego pieces, right? And sometimes we like to run around. I'm a, a little Lego brick. Look at me. Look at me. But Lego bricks by themselves don't do much. However, when they come together and they are connected and closely compacted, you can create all kinds of incredible things. This summer, uh, Jack and I went to a museum in Chicago where the, the world's largest exhibit of Lego art exists. And it's fascinating. There's some really neat things. We saw a life-size tiger made completely out of Lego bricks, right? And, and all polar bears and dinosaur skeletons and all kinds of incredible things that happen when all these different pieces of Lego bricks come together and are built into something incredible. That's what life is like in the household of God. As Christians, we're not meant to wander around by ourselves, but we're meant to come together and be built together in unity to make something, to make the temple, the house of God. And let me say something about unity. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity, right? It's not unity to say we all look the same, we all dress the same, we all like the same things, we all vote the same way, we all think the same way, and therefore we all love each other. That's not unity. That's just intolerance because we don't tolerate anybody that has a different opinion. We kick them out, and then we say, oh, look at us and how tolerant and unified we are. No, that's not unity. That's just uniformity. Unity is saying we might dress different. We might listen to different kinds of music. We might uh, like different things. We might look different. We might have different backgrounds, but we love one another because we are bound together by the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, right? That's unity. And in God's house, there is unity. We are being built together into the temple of God. So in God's house, there's joy, there's unity, and there is praise. See verse 4. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. One of the reasons why gathering together is uh, such a fundamental practice of uh, Christianity is because it's so easy through the week to get distracted and forget about who is on the throne. Who is the king over the universe? And you look at the news and, and you, you have stress thing, stressful things at work or in your home or whatever. And, and through the week, it's easy to forget. So Christians made it a practice to start each week by reminding ourselves who is on the throne and giving praise and honor and glory to God as the king over everything. 
And then we carry that with us through the week. Um, I I love the way that the Message Bible translates Psalm 122, verse 4. It says, The city to which the tribes ascend, all God's tribes go up to worship, to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. This is what it means to be God's people. Not that you were born into a certain ethnicity or in a certain nationality or that you have certain credentials or certain backgrounds. Here's what it means to be God's people. To gather together to worship and give thanks. To acknowledge that God is the supreme in all of life and to serve him with grateful hearts that are full of praise. That's what it means fundamentally to be a child of God. This is, this is the fundamental activity of God's people is coming together to worship him and give thanks and praise. In God's house, there's joy, unity, praise, and righteousness. Verse five, there stand the thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. These thrones are where judgment was made, righteous judgment, judgment that in that in. in instituted justice in the world, judgments that brought about what was right, that made what was wrong corrected, that that fixed what was broken. The wisdom to do that comes from the house of God. If we want to know how to fix what's broken in our world, the place that we start is coming together as God's people around God's word so that we can receive wisdom to enact justice and righteousness. It begins in the house of the Lord and it goes out into the world around us. So in God's house, there's joy, unity, praise, and righteousness. And the the application to this is that all of these things come from a life that is centered on the worship of God. All of these things come from a life that is built on the foundation of gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship God. That's where the fruit of God's house comes from. And I think it's important to know, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner said this, Note that the object of these gatherings was to give thanks, not primarily to seek unity or prosperity. Unity and prosperity were gifts. So we don't gather together so that we can hear a good sermon. We don't gather together so that we can hear some good Christian music. We don't gather together so that we can receive joy and receive wisdom and receive peace. No, we gather together so that we can give thanks and praise and worship to God so that we can exalt Christ so that we can submit ourselves to his word and give our lives to him and when we come together to give our lives to God he gives us back wisdom and righteousness and peace and joy and direction and his presence and his love in our lives we do receive these things because we gather to give him thanks These things are the fruit of a life that is centered on and built on the foundation of gathering together to become the house of God and to be in the presence of the Lord. Because when we come together in the presence of God with brothers and sisters in Christ who love us, our broken hearts are mended. Our fears are scared away. Our hope is restored. Our questions are answered. 
right? Our, our lives are encouraged and built up when we come together. This is a sanctuary, not because there's anything special about this room, but because there's something special about all of you when we gather together. And we can stop and breathe and enjoy each other and enjoy the Lord and not worry for a few minutes about all the things that are going on out there. And then we leave filled up with God's love and the love of one another, and we go through the next week. That's what happens when we come together, when we gather. And they come from a life that is centered on coming together to worship God. So I want to close this, wrap this up by looking back at Psalm 122, verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. My question is, where are you finding your joy this Christmas season? Christmas is a busy season, shopping for presents, planning Christmas parties, making food, planning your uh, family gatherings, finding things on sale, right? All, All these things, super busy, If you have kids, kids' activities at school, different things. It's so busy all the time. Where are we finding our joy this Christmas season? As as we go into the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, just think about that. What am I looking to for happiness this Christmas season? It comes from being in the household of God, being part of the body of Christ and gathering to worship him. We're going to celebrate communion. I would like to invite the worship team back up for that. And as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, I want to read from the last half of Psalm 122, verses 6 through 9. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. When the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we can and Christians should pray for the peace of the modern day city of Jerusalem that's over in the Middle East right now. But if we're really going to be obedient to the heart of what Psalm 122 is saying, what we have to realize is what Jerusalem was for the Israelite, the church is for the Christian. So if we're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, not only does that mean praying for Israel and Jerusalem, that also means praying for the church. Not just Lakeview Church, but other congregations in our community, across our nation, and around our world. There are Christians who uh, live all over in the world who don't have the freedom to gather here this morning like we are and to enjoy being together in the presence of God without fear. And this morning, as we prepare to receive communion, I want us to pray specifically for Christians in Afghanistan. So I have an article here from Open Doors, which is an organization that prays for and supports uh, Christians who are persecuted around the world. Afghanistan is currently ranked on their list as the number two most dangerous nation in the world to be a Christian. Uh, So here's just a little bit of information about the church in Afghanistan. There are no church buildings in Afghanistan. It's illegal for Christians to gather and worship. And so Christians have to gather in basements, at night, in backyards, 
places where they won't be suspected. So we're going to pray for unity among the the Christians in Afghanistan. Uh, Christians may be disowned, banished, abused, kidnapped, or even killed for their faith. In fact, last year, an average of 11 Christians per day were killed in Afghanistan for their faith. 11 per day. Women in Afghanistan have very few rights. Many are denied even basic education and medical care. They're often neglected, abused, and mistreated, and the authorities offer no protection. So I want us to pray that uh, God will do a special work among the women in Afghanistan, that they would find their Heavenly Father who loves them and values them. And interestingly enough, according to Open Doors, the largest source of evangelism in Afghanistan today are missionaries from Iran, which is interesting. Iran is one of the the fastest-growing churches in the world is growing in Iran, the the Christian movement there underground. um, And they are growing, and they're starting to send missionaries into Afghanistan. So we want to pray that God would open doors of opportunity for them. Let's pray together, and then we will celebrate communion together. Communion is a practice, a tradition that all Christians in all times and in all cultures have celebrated together. And as we do that this morning, we will do it knowing that many Christians in Afghanistan and around the world are doing the same thing. We might be separated by space and time, but we're not separated in spirit. So let's pray for the Christians in Afghanistan. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for sending your son that we could be free that we could be saved from sin and death and that victory over evil would be accomplished. And we lift up before you today our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who cannot gather like we're doing here this morning. No one in this room had to worry about being arrested on their way to church because they're coming to church. We don't have to worry about being executed for our faith or being put in a position where we're told to deny Christ or be locked in jail. We don't have to worry about our kids being kidnapped and trafficked into the sex trade because they're Christians. But these are the kinds of challenges that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan live with every day. So Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask that your protection would be given to them. We pray for their safety. We also pray for their courage and their boldness that in the face of intense persecution, they would have the strength, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to not just show the love of Christ, but to tell the love of Christ so that others can be brought from darkness to light. We pray especially for women in Afghanistan knowing that they are extremely mistreated, undervalued, and abused. We know, Lord Jesus, that you highly valued women. You you had women in your group of disciples. The first people to see you resurrected were women. You elevated their status and recognized them as human beings made in your image 
worthy of dignity and respect. And, and Lord, we pray that women in Afghanistan would experience that love from you. If they're not believers, I ask that you would visit them in dreams and in visions and call them to yourself. I ask that you would put into their path Christians who would treat them with dignity and respect and show them the love of Christ. Because it's often the most marginalized people that find their identity and hope in Jesus and make some of the biggest changes in the world. And Lord, we pray for the missionaries that are coming from Iran into Afghanistan. We ask that your, uh, that your blessing and protection would be given to them and that you would open doors of opportunity, put them in the right places at the right time with the right people and give them the right words to speak. You didn't tell us <laughs> to pray that the fields would have a ripe harvest. You told us to pray that God would send laborers into the field because they're already ripe for harvest. And there are people ready to put their faith in Christ in Afghanistan, in Iran, in North Korea, in Nigeria, in China, and in places all over the world where it's not safe to be a Christian. There are people who are ready to put their faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray for uh, missionaries, not just from Iran, but from other countries to go into Afghanistan and into these other nations and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can reap the harvest that is ready. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread that we eat together is a symbol of the body of Christ that was broken on the cross for our sin. Let's eat it together and remember him. The juice in the cups is non-alcoholic grape juice. It's a symbol of the blood that Jesus poured out on the cross to cleanse us from our sins. My sins and your sins are forgiven in the, in the blood of Christ. Let's drink this in remembrance of him. <laughs> 